has been said already, today will be our first sermon in our look at the letter written to the Christians in Colossae. Why this letter? Why are we considering Colossians after years of considering our Christ, who he is, what he has done for us, how do we live in light of that? Um, There's many things or many letters we could have looked at, many books in the Bible we could look at to highlight who our Christ is. We can think of the book of Hebrews. Um, You can think of one that we're already going through, uh, the book of Revelation. But Colossians, saints, for what Paul is doing, and really the theme of Colossians, is going to highlight who Christ is, and simply put, how do we live in light of that? Uh, And we see this in chapter 1, starting in verse 13, where Paul really just brings out who our Christ is in a way that's in a way that no other writer here on earth could bring out. In chapter one, he highlights for us the greatness of Christ. In chapter two and three, he highlights not only the greatness of Christ, but also how do we live in light of this greatness of Christ? Highlighting also in the family relations. Husbands be subject to your uh, wives be subject to your husbands. As it is fitting in the Lord, husbands love your wives. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things. And then in chapter 4, his final greetings. We will consider Colossians. I don't know how long we'll be in there. Probably not too long, but may the Lord help us. Who is the author of Colossians? Who is the author? And this is going to be really just an introduction to the book. Um, However, we will consider verse 1. Who is the author? Well, it's quite obvious, right? It's Paul. However, there is much to critics debate um, whether it is Paul, whether it's actually Timothy, whether it's Paul and Timothy, whether it is Paul's secretaries. Uh, I don't want to, I don't want to say bore you, uh, but I don't want to get into the weeds of all the debates because it's, it's quite clear from this letter that the one who wrote this letter is the Apostle Paul. It is the Apostle Paul who wrote this letter. Now, where was this letter written? Simply put, I don't know. I don't know where this letter was written from. All evidence shows that Paul wrote this letter while he was in jail. The question is, which jail was he in? Now, there's three, uh, there's three options. He's either in jail in Ephesus, he's either in jail in Caesarea, or he's either in jail in Rome. Many think that he's in jail in Rome. Uh, However, a good case can be made that Paul is writing this letter in Ephesus. I kind of take the Ephesus route uh, because it's closer to Colossae, but also it's closer to uh, the other letters where Paul is is writing to. Uh, I don't know where he's honestly, what prison he's writing from. Who are the Colossians then? Who are the Colossians? And this is what makes the epistle uh, distinct from all other Paul's letters, because Paul did not establish this church. Uh, Paul did not found this church. This is not a church that Paul established. In fact, these Christians had not even seen Paul. 
He says this in chapter 2, verse 1. So, who started a church in Colossae? Who started this church? Well, it was Epaphras, who was Paul's colleague. He says this in chapter 1, verse 7 through 8. In fact, Epaphras was one of the uh, people of Colossae. As Paul says in chapter 4, verse 12. Epaphras was one that was converted from Paul's ministry. And he went on and he started the church in Colossae. But how did Paul hear of them? How did Paul hear of these people? And saints, let me tell you, if there's any church that we want to be recognized as and be likened to, at least with regard to our love and our faith, it is this church here. Paul says, we, thanks, we, thanks, uh, we give thanks to God, our Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, always praying for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints. Paul, they never met Paul, but Paul was hearing of their faith in Christ. But also Paul was hearing of their love that they had for one another. And this is what drew Paul's attention toward them. <clears throat> now, saints, uh, again, the, the, uh, the theme of this letter is Christ. And how do we live in light of Christ? But why was this letter written? Why would Epaphras tell Paul to write this letter? Well, like many of Paul's letters, Paul wrote this letter because of false teaching and error that was creeping into the church. And we're going to get into some of this false teaching and error uh, in a few weeks. But just to let you know, it's because of false teaching and error that was creeping into the church. Well, with that short introduction out of the way, and there's much more we, we could have said, um, let's consider verse 1 of chapter 1. Verse 1 of chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. Again, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother. If there's anyone that we should know the background of and try to understand who he is, it is the Apostle Paul. We all know of Paul as being a great man of faith. We all know of Paul as being one whom critics like to debate whether he is the one that started Christianity. It's false. He did not. Should we follow Paul's words or Christ's words? Well, of course, we always follow Christ's words. However, Paul's words are Christ's words as well. So, the Apostle Paul, saints, is a giant of the faith. And if there's anyone that we should study, anyone that we should consider, it is the great Apostle. <clears throat> Let's first consider the name and the background of Paul. In Acts 21, verse 39, we read, But Paul, uh, but Paul said, I am a Jew of Tarsus, a citizen of no insignificant city. And I beg you, allow me to speak to the people. Here, in this introduction, we see two things concerning Paul. First, we have his name, Paul. But also we have where he's from, Tarsus. Where's Tarsus then? What is Tarsus? Well, Tarsus, as Paul says, is no insignificant city. Where he's from is no ordinary city. It was an old city. However, Tarsus was one of the most highly regarded cities in the Roman Empire. Now, there are many things that Tarsus was known for, but what I want you to understand here is that Tarsus was known for their education. It's like being from Oxford. 
Oxford is known for their education. Tarsus, where Paul is from, they're known for their education. Tarsus was well known as one of the leading universities, cities within the Roman Empire. In fact, uh, Greek, the Greek historian, can't pronounce his, pronounce his name, described Tarsus as having surpassed Athens and Alexandria and any other city in that empire that had schools and lectures of philosophers. So anyone from Tarsus was well taught, highly educated, and they knew their philosophy. They knew their philosophy. They read their Aristotle. They read their Plato. My point is this, that Paul was no dummy. That Paul was a skilled man, an educated man, born and raised in the most highly intellectual, esteemed city in the Roman Empire. This is the background where he's coming from. But not only this, saints. Not only was Paul raised in Greek philosophy, in new Greek philosophy, and we will get to philosophy soon, because uh, Paul does mention philosophy in this, in this book, in this letter, rather. He was also raised as a Jewish Pharisee. He was also raised as a Jewish Pharisee. Um, one of my favorite movies, he tells the kid to go to school so you get two educations. You get education in the street, and then you get education, you know, in the, uh, in the academia world. Uh, Paul knew philosophy, but also Paul knew the Old Testament. He knew secular philosophy. He knew natural theology, and, but also he knew the Bible. Saul, or Paul, says of himself in uh, Philippians 3, 5, that he was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew uh, of the Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee. In other words, Paul's family could trace their lineage back to the tribe of Benjamin, who was perhaps the most highly esteemed of the twelve, tri of the 12 tribes. But what makes Paul's childhood so remarkable was not merely what he was being taught, but rather who his teacher was. Who his teacher was. The most highly esteemed Pharisee within all the history of Israel, Gamaliel. Now, Acts 5.34 refers to this man as a teacher of the law and highly respected by all the people. So, get this here, to set the scene. Paul... Right? As a young man is not only learning philosophy in the most highly intellectual place you can learn philosophy, but he's also learning how to be a Pharisee from the greatest Pharisee in all the day. Paul is literally a protege. Paul knows, it seems, everything that could be known at this time. Now, there's a bit of misconception when we consider the name of Paul. There's a bit of misconception when we, when we consider the name of Paul. And the misconception is this. As many of you, as many of you, uh, you know, Paul is also named Saul. Paul is also named Saul. Now, here's the misconception. Many think that, well, his name was Saul, and then when he saw Jesus on the road to Damascus, Jesus changed his name to Paul. And then he goes, now he goes by Paul. He no longer goes by Saul. Um, that's a misconception and that's false. Paul does not have his name changed by Christ. But rather, Paul and Saul are dual names 
of the same person. Paul and Saul are dual names of the same person. And this is what we see in Acts 13.9. But Saul, who was also known as Paul, filled with the Spirit, stared at him. Now, why these two names? Why would he have a dual name? It would be cool for us to have dual names, but why does Paul then have a dual name of Paul and Saul? Well, Saul was his Hebrew name. Saul was his Hebrew name. And since his father was a Roman citizen, Saul also had a Latin name, which was Paul. Which was Paul. And it was custom at this time to have dual names. Simply put, it was custom at this time to have dual names. So then what's the reason why Paul no longer goes by Saul then? What's the reason? Well, one answer could be this, quoting one theologian. After his conversion, Saul determined to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. So he dusted off his Roman name and became known as Paul, a name Gentiles were accustomed to. In fact, this is Paul's testimony, right? In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 20-23, to 23, To the Jews I became a Jew as a Jew. In order to win Jews, to those under the law, I became as one under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside of the law, I became one as, uh, as one outside of the law, that I might win those outside of the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. So, him going by Paul, saints, was really him trying to win more souls for Christ. Trying to win more souls for Christ. Now notice, saints, notice the title of Paul. Notice the title of Paul. Paul. He says he's an apostle. Paul says he's an apostle. Now, what's an apostle? Now, what's an apostle? In the New Testament, um, the word apostle is used in two senses. Broadly, it means one who is sent on a specific mission as a representative of a sender. So essentially this, if I told you, go give this message to someone else. That's the broad sense. But there's also a narrow and more focused sense. The word apostle is one who has seen Christ and who is uniquely commissioned by Christ to bear authoritative witness to his person and work. So, Pastor Antonio spoke a little bit about false teachers. This runs sort of like in the same vein, right? So how do we authenticate an apostle? Many of you, I'm sure, have watched late night television and have seen someone by the name of like, you know, Apostle Jimmy Dean or something. Um, You know, and they have this water that came from Israel or they have a towel, you know, that has like blood marks of Christ and will sell it to you for however. That's not an apostle, And the reason why they're not an apostle is because they haven't seen Christ. And they haven't been commissioned by Christ to share uh, and be a witness of Christ. So apostles then, in the sense of the one that we're holding, that we believe, and the one that is focused for us, or our concerns for us, um, is one who has seen Christ but also has been appointed to proclaim Christ. And saints... The reason why Paul then says that he's an apostle is to tell these these Christians in Colossae that what I'm writing to you is not of my own words, but what I'm writing to you has been commissioned by God. Therefore, heed to my words. Heed to what I am saying. 
this later definition, saints, of an apostle, of seeing Christ and being appointed by Christ is what Paul had experienced, is it not, on the road to Damascus. He sees Christ, but also is commissioned by the Lord. Now, what makes this statement so remarkable? What makes Paul saying, I'm an apostle, so remarkable? Because hearing this, it should cause us to say, wait a minute. How is this so? How is this one an apostle? The reason why it's so remarkable is because of Paul's past. Philippians chapter 3, verse 5 through 6, circumcised on the eighth day, he's saying of himself, of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, of Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, which is in the law, found blameless. Notice what he says here, saints, that when Paul describes his past, he doesn't leave out his dirty work. He says that I was a persecutor of the church. A persecutor of the church. If there's anything that Paul was zealous for in his past life, it was this one thing. It was to destroy any and all followers of Jesus Christ. If there's anything that Paul put all of his energy in, it was to destroy Jesus Christ and the church of Jesus Christ. In Acts 8, verse 1, we read, Now Saul, approving of putting Stephen to death. Acts chapter 8, verse 3, And Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house, and he would drag away men and women and put them in prison. Acts 9, 1, Now Saul, still breathing dread, threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. What we see from these verses, saints, is this man whom we all love, that this man whom we read books of, that this man has had such a profound um, influence and impact on our life, that this man here who has wrote the majority of the New Testament, that this man was once an evil murderer of Christ's church. This man here, this man whom we all look at as one of our spiritual leaders, was once a worker of Satan. He once had the spirit of Antichrist. This man here, the Apostle Paul, not our Paul, not my man Paul, yes, the Apostle Paul, known as Saul. Think of our past sin saints. Maybe none of us compare to Paul's. Yes, we verbally probably tried to destroy Christ's church, but did we actually physically? Was it our duty to actually kill Christians? To kill the ones who bring the good news of Jesus Christ? And this is what makes this fact of Paul's apostleship so amazing. Isn't this amazing, saints? That Paul, who was once a hater of Christ, is now a lover of Christ. That this Paul here, that this Paul who would drag women and men who were followers of Christ, that he himself was then dragged because of Christ. That this man. It's saying it's this fact here. The more you read Paul's letters, you, you quickly understand his spiritual theology. That what Paul the man who was trained in Aristotle and Plato and Greek philosophy, that Paul, the one who was 
who was studied under the greatest Pharisee of the day, that this one who had one of the highest intellects that one could ever have, that this one here could not get over this fact here. That Jesus Christ loves someone like him. Out of all the things Paul knew, the Old Testament upside down, metaphysics, philosophy, everything, he could not get his mind around this fact that Jesus Christ loved him. That Jesus Christ could love someone like him, like this murderer. In light of all the blood that Paul spilled in order to destroy Christ's church, what amazed Paul is that Christ shed his blood for Paul. That of all the blood that I shed in order to kill Christ's church, that just a few years ago, Christ shed his blood for me. This true saints was so engraved in St. Paul's heart. It was so engraved. The love of Christ was so engraved in St. Paul's heart that he would say in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, For I determined to know nothing among you. This one who knew everything. I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Let me tell you this, saints. That's fine. Study Trinitarian theology. Study Christology. Study all the things you would like to study. That's fine. But here St. Paul says that the essence of what we are to know is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That is all of what he desired to know. For Paul, and I'm not downplaying all these other areas of theology, they all, they all heighten our view of Christ and Him crucified for sure and study them. For Paul, his whole Christian life was lived at the foot of the cross. I mean, isn't that how we are to live the Christian faith, saints? We are to live at the foot of the cross, but also in light of the cross. As he says in Galatians 2.20, the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself up for me. Saints of God, we say that Christ loved us. We know that Christ died for us. But Paul, and I said this in the morning, you know how you have Bart Simpson, who writes on the chalkboard the same thing over and over and over. If you're in school, you might have experienced that. The teacher will make you write the same thing over and over. To do what? To ingrain what you're writing into your mind? But Paul, in his mind, and I, I imagine probably every single day, would remind and recite to himself, Jesus loves me. And he died for me. And in light of that, he lived... Oh, saints, let us strive to be in awe of our salvation the way Paul was. Paul was in complete awe of his salvation. Complete awe. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't something, saints, that, that he would, uh, would ever forget. Something that he would never stop being in awe of. That his eyes were always fixed on Christ and the cross. You see, saints, the gospel to Paul, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, was something that was never behind Paul. 
And saints, I hope that the gospel is never something behind you. Young people, hear me now. If you are not saved, believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and never put the gospel of Jesus Christ behind you. But allow the gospel of Christ to always be at the forefront of your minds. As he says in 1 Timothy 1, 13-14, even though I was previously a blasphemer and a persecutor, and a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy. Because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant. With the faith and the love which are found in Christ Jesus. What he's saying is, that violent crime that happened over 2,000 years ago, rather, it happened years ago, that violent crime, when they put... Jesus Christ on the cross, it outweighed my violent crimes of killing those who follow Christ. That the violence that they did to one man outweighed my violence that I did to a multitude of men. That the grace that's shown, that the love that's shown, that the love that's offered, it outweighs your sins. Paul knew that more than anyone. And saints of God, I hope that you know that more than anyone. So saints, we want to skip past this opening statement from Paul. In fact, if there's anything that stuck out to me, it was that statement that this one who was once a murderer is now an ambassador of Christ. This one who did not want to hear of the name Jesus could not stop talking about Jesus. That all he wanted to do was talk about Jesus. For his apostleship, saints, lastly, does not highlight Paul. It does not highlight because of how smart he was, because of his way with words, how wise he was, how handsome he was, anything like that. But it highlights this thing here. His apostleship highlights the grace of God. It highlights God and God's mercy. That God can save a sinner like Paul. And saints of God, this should be of such encouragement for us. Many of us know of people who it seems are on life support when it comes to spirituality, when it comes to believing upon the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But if God can save someone like Paul, then He can save anyone because He saved us. Paul says that He is the the, the rank and chief of sinners. <laughs> and saints, do we not have to fight Paul for that title? Do we not have to say, no, Paul, I am actually the chief among sinners. Saints of God, how? How is this possible? How is Paul an apostle? This one who is a persecutor, now a messenger of Christ. Paul says, by the will of God. Isn't that the only answer we can give? Isn't that the only answer, saints? Paul's reasoning for his apostleship lies not in his own own self, not because he's within the tribe of Benjamin, not because he was taught this or that, but rather because of God. Saints, when someone asks you, how is it that you do no longer talk the way that you do? How is it that you no longer dress the way that you do? You don't listen to the same things. You don't think the way that you used to. You don't, in, you don't involve yourselves in those extracurricular activities that you used to with all of your friends. How is that? Because of God. Because of the will of God. Because of God's providential care in my life that He's preserved me for a time like this. 
because of God. This is the only explanation that makes sense for Paul. Paul don't know. Paul will say at the end of Romans 11 when he takes us through that mountain peak of God's sovereignty and election, what does he say at the end of Romans 11? Oh, the depths. The mystery and the wisdom of God. Paul couldn't understand it. But it's a fact and it's a truth. It's only because of the will of God that Paul was an apostle. It's only because of the will of God, saints, that you, that when you, saints, were on your Damascus road, that when you were on your road to hell, it was God who interrupted you. And He said, follow me. As He did to many of His disciples. And you said, yes. Yes, I will follow you. And lastly, saints, as if we think that Paul is someone who's all about himself. We think that Paul takes pride in his own ministry. He names his spiritual son. He says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. We will learn about Timothy soon, saints. But Timothy was Paul's spiritual son. And he names Timothy as one who has been his closest companion and his spiritual son. And he says that we, we, on the account of Christ, write this letter to you. And saints of God, this letter is not only written to these Christians in Colossae, but saints of God, I want you to put your shoes or yourself in these people's shoes. Because the Word of God is not merely written to just one person. It's written to the whole church. Not just to a church that was written so long ago, but to a church in 2023 in Bakersfield, California. Reformation Bible Church. 22-something. It's written to us, those saints. It's written to us as well. And I pray that this letter will be of some encouragement to you as we begin. Let's pray.